is great to be together, and it's a privilege to be able to preach God's Word this morning. We're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 5. We are continuing in our series through 1 Peter, and we're, we're nearing an end to that series. So we only have one section left to go. Next week, Joel's going to be preaching through the last few verses. And as we uh, near an end here, Peter has been laying out the principles of how to live a Christian life. And in these closing sections of this book, he calls the church to walk in humility together. So uh, let's read this passage together. 1 Peter chapter 5, uh, verses 5 through 11. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. May God bless the preaching of his word. There are lots of things in life that when you first hear about them, they seem like a good idea at first, but after you try them out for yourself, you begin to quickly wonder whether or not it's really worth it. Uh, it's like deciding to eat more vegetables or join a gym for the first time. It seems great at first, seems like there's lots of benefit to it, but then a few days in, you begin to wonder whether you have just maybe made a great mistake because now you're left with this jumbo bag of kale from Costco, which you're never going to eat because kale is disgusting. Uh, and you had this gym membership to Planet Fitness, which you only went to once, and that's only because they had free pizza night. Um, or at least I've, I've heard that these things have happened to people in the past. Um, but uh, I think that we can oftentimes view humility like this. Uh, it seems like a great idea. We, we see lots of calls in Scripture toward it. Uh, even in our own culture, we, we see this as a value that's held up sometimes. But then you try walking in humility yourself, maybe before a, a co-worker, um, or walking in humility with a co-worker that, that, you, don't, that you don't like, and you, you quickly realize that humility is hard, and you might not like it so much. And you, then you look out the world around us, like in the world of politics or YouTube comment sections, and you quickly realize that while people may like talking about humility, uh, we don't actually like walking in humility. As we come now to the section in 1 Peter, which is all about humility, we ask ourselves, uh, is humility really worth it? And, and what is humility? And what really is the value in it? But as we walk through this passage together, we're going to see that while humility might not be an easy thing, it is key to experiencing the life and the joy that God has for his church. And the main point that I think Peter is getting at here in the text is this. A humble life prepares us for a glorious life. A humble life prepares us 
for a glorious life. As we look at this call to humility, Peter's going to lay out four principles for us, four ways that we can walk in humility and experience God's grace as we do so. Uh, So last week, uh, Joel pulled out this 10-point sermon. I'm not sure if quarantine is just messing with his head or what, but we're not doing that this morning. We are at a much more reasonable four-point sermon. Uh, And so we're going to see four points, four ways that we see Peter calling us to walk in humility. So we're going to see him call us to submit to others, to trust in God, to resist the devil, and to hope in glory. So point one. Submit to others. Peter begins this section in verse 5 by saying, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. When he starts by saying, likewise, what he means is that everything he's about to say is similar to what he said in the previous verses. And if you recall what Joel preached last week, we know that Peter has been calling pastors to walk in humility, to live in dependence upon God as they seek to lead their churches, to be servants to the church, to be subjects to the need of others, and to do so joyfully. And now Peter says, likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Now, I'm not sure why Peter was specifically speaking to the younger people in the church here. Perhaps there was, in the church that Peter was originally writing to, there's a group of younger members in the church who were resistant to the authority of the leadership, or perhaps he's just speaking to younger people in general, and a tendency that is often there to to buck against authority. Uh, But he's speaking to these members of the church, and he's, he's challenging them to have a willingness to follow the leadership of the church. Just as pastors are called to be humble in following the chief shepherd, which is Christ, um, the members are called to be humble and to seek to follow the pastors. And this is an idea that is, that is found all throughout Scripture. And in Hebrews 13, it says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who have to give an account. Let them do so with joy, not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Now, I always feel a little awkward when I come to passages like this because as a pastor, it can feel kind of self-serving to teach about this. Um, but this is where we're at in our text this morning, so I want to be faithful to preach God's Word. And passages like from last week's sermon or Hebrews 13 or Ephesians 4, they, they speak of pastors as gifts of God to the church. And a healthy church is effective in carrying out its mission when the members receive care from godly pastors who are, and are willing to follow their lead as they seek to build the church and equip the church for its mission. And now it's important to say here that, that Scripture does, does not call members of a church to just blindly follow its leaders. If pastors were to deviate from teaching the Scripture or to lead the church in a way that is clearly contrary to the Bible, then those pastors ought not to be followed. But our passage here in 1 Peter says that that when members are willing to follow the leadership of pastors, assuming that they are seeking to follow Christ themselves, um, that this makes it a joy for the pastors to serve, and that the church is blessed. 
And I just want to take a moment here to say that this has been the experience of Joel and myself. We love getting to be your pastors. And, and you've made a joy for us to do so through your prayers, through your encouragement, through your eagerness to serve, and through your willingness to, to follow the leadership of, of us as pastors and as a leadership team. Even though we are very aware that we, we don't do so perfectly, that we make mistakes and we, we fall short in many ways. But, but when Joel and I come to verses like, like here in verse 7, our, our first response is, is not to call you to this, but rather to thank you for how you have done this and for how you've made a joy for us to be your pastors. So thank you. We, we love you, Redeemer Fellowship. And so now moving on here in our text, Peter speaks more broadly to just all of us, and he, he calls all of us towards humility in our relationships. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. And, and this really is a, a summary of so much of what Peter has been saying throughout this entire book. He has called servants to be humble, husbands to be humble, wives to be humble, pastors to be humble, congregation to be humble. And now he says, everyone be humble to all those around you, particularly toward those within the family of God. Um, Peter is calling us as a church to, to make humility a prime characteristic that defines our fellowship together. And we have, we have so many opportunities to do this as a church in life, whether it's, whether it's just being respectful towards those that you disagree with, or being patient with that person in fellowship group who you think talks too much, or, or being willing to say sorry to your spouse, even if your spouse does not say so first. There, there, are, there are endless ways for us to walk in humility with one another. And so, so let's stand out as a church by walking humbly in this way. And so now back to our text, as, as we look back at, at all these calls toward humility, Peter, at the end of verse 5, he, he highlights the reason why we are to walk in humility. He says, Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for, so he's giving the reason why we're to walk in humility, he says, For God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Friends, this verse contains four of, of I think, the most sobering words in all of Scripture. God opposes the proud. Now, now we're going to get more into what this means in the next point here, but, but the thought that, that God, the, the almighty God of the universe, opposes the proud is a sobering thought. What could be worse than having God opposed to you? That's far worse than this pandemic or cancer or broken marriages, or having friends gossip about you, having God opposed to you. This is why Scripture speaks so often about pride, and there's, there's perhaps no greater danger to us than our own pride. And in contrast, there's perhaps no better pursuit, therefore, than that of humility. Because while God opposes the proud, the text says that He gives grace to the humble. And we live in humility before others and particularly before God. God draws near to us. He helps us and, and we experience his favor 
And so I want to look deeper now into this passage and ask, what does it mean to walk in humility before God? And this brings us to our second point, which is to trust in God. In verses 6 through 7, Peter says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. And so we see here a, a much fuller picture of what Peter means when he calls us to walk in humility. He says, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. And then he describes what it looks like to do so. So we do this by, as he says, casting our anxieties on God. Now, I'm not sure that this is what I would have expected Peter to say next year, right? He's calling ourselves to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God who opposes the proud, which is a frightening thought. And you might then expect the next thing for him to say then is to obey this God. Do as this God says. Submit to this God. And of course, this is part of what humility means, but that's not what this passage focuses in on. Instead, we see here this this beautiful statement, not just about God's power and about his might and his commands, but about the love that he has for us. God says, cast your anxieties on me. Why? Because I care for you. Now now remember who 1 Peter is written to. This, This letter is written to a church who is experiencing all types of suffering. And Peter has been saying, because of what Christ has done for you, you can have confidence that you'll experience God's favor both now and for eternity. And throughout this letter, Peter has been building this argument um, that even though we face trials and difficulties in life, we have so much reason to rejoice because Christ has paid the penalty for our sins. He has built us into the family of God. He has given us the spirit of Christ. And because eternity awaits us. And so now, near the end of the book, Peter is addressing this suffering church. And he's saying, remember all that we have spoken of. And trust in this God. Allow these truths to humble you. And when you experience trials... And anxieties begin to build up in your mind. Cast those anxieties at the feet of this God. Friends, I I want us to see the heart of God toward us as he calls us toward humility. God says, cast your anxieties on me because I love you. Because I care for you. Because I want to exalt you. Because I am mighty and I am able to help you. But when we cling to anxiety, we are actually denying that these promises of God are true. And if we follow the logic of this passage, in verse 6 it says, Humble yourselves before God, and the way to do that is to cast our anxieties on Him. So that means if we, if we don't give our anxieties over to God, then we are walking in pride. And God opposes the proud. Now it's, it's not wrong to to feel concern or to feel the burden or pain of circumstances in this life. Jesus himself felt those things very deeply during his time on this earth. He he wept. He felt the sting of life's difficulties. But, But anxiety is what we experience when we approach the trials of life 
without acknowledging who God is and his promises. So, so pride and anxiety, they, they look at the current pandemic that we're in and, and they say, God, you must not be mighty. You must not be in control of what is happening. But humility says, this is hard and it's frustrating, but God, we trust you. Pride and anxiety, look at the problems in your marriage and say, there is no hope here. There's no point in continuing to make effort any longer. But humility says, God, we are going to trust you. We're going to turn to you for help and you promise to help us. Pride and anxiety look at unfulfilled dreams. And they say, God, you must not care for me. Your way must not be best. It is pointless to continue walking in obedience to you. But humility says, God, I don't understand. But I believe that you work all things together for good. And so I'm going to follow you this week. One of my, one of my favorite stories in all of scripture is a story um, that takes place in, in the book of Daniel back in the Old Testament. And many of us might remember this story. It's the, the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. So the story takes place way back in, in the, the history of God's people when the nation of Israel had been captured by the nation of Babylon. And, and the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, was this incredibly prideful and wicked king who had established this, he had built this golden image um, in honor of himself and had commanded everyone in his kingdom to bow down before this image under the threat of death. This story might seem a little strange to us in our culture, but this was a very real and very serious situation. These, These young men had been captured, they had been enslaved, and now they're being told to deny their God and to bow down before this image. Otherwise, they would be thrown into this furnace. This king had this furnace that he would burn people alive in if they disobeyed him. He was this wicked king. And so as, as far as life's trials go, this one is pretty bad. This is an anxious moment for these men. And we know from our story that they refused to obey the king. And so the king in his anger, he had this fire uh, or this furnace um, heated up so much that it burned and killed some of the guards who were standing around it. Um, and the king gave these men one last chance to deny their God and to bow down before this idol by saying, if you refuse, we are going to burn you alive. And this is their response, which I love. Their, their response is now one of my favorite verses in all of Scripture. I want this verse to be an anthem, a banner that hangs over my own life. This is, this is what they said in response to the king. If this be so, meaning if you do throw us into this furnace... If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, meaning if God in his goodness and his sovereignty decides not to deliver them from the flames. They say, but if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Friends, that is a crazy response to this scenario. I love this example of these men that that in this most anxious moment that you could imagine, 
in the face of incredible danger and suffering, they say, God, we trust you. And we're going to follow you. Even if that means following you into the flames. Now, I don't, I don't know what I would have done in a moment like this. But I can tell you that I struggle to trust God and follow God in, in much less difficult circumstances than this one. I think the question for us this morning is, is what are you feeling anxious about this week? What anxieties are you carrying with you even this morning? Is it struggles in your marriage? Is it finances? Is it what school or work is going to look like for the rest of this year? Is it health problems and you're wondering what the rest of your life is going to look like as a result? Whatever it is, God is calling you this morning to lay those anxieties at his feet. And he promises that as you do so, you will experience his grace. This world is filled with troubles that would, that would tempt us to lose our faith in God or to, to put our faith in ourselves or to decide that it's just not worth it to follow Christ anymore. And so, so we must fight hard for this church. And this brings us now to our third point, which is to resist the devil. In verses 8 and 9, Peter says, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. So Peter has been calling us here to walk in humility with others and particularly before God, which means to trust him, to lay our anxieties at his feet, to acknowledge his sovereign, loving plan for our lives. And then Peter calls us to be alert and watchful and to resist the devil. So we see here that humility is not a, a passive response. Humility does not say, okay, God, you are in control, so I'm just going to sit back and I'm not going to do anything. No, biblical humility is an active humility. Specifically, the call here is to resist the devil. Here in verse 8, the text again takes a, a, another serious tone, and it says that Satan is roaring around like a lion waiting for someone to devour. This is a, a frightening image. Again, another one that's meant to, to sober us. My, my brother and I used to take this annual backpacking trip to upstate to New York in the Catskills. And we'd always take this route that would lead us down into this valley to a place called Echo Lake. And uh, we would set up camp there for the night. And uh, I remember the first night that we ever set up camp there, we were, we were setting up the fire in our tents. And, and as it began to grow dusk and as darkness set upon us, we began to hear the, the howling of wolves all the way around in the valley above us. Now, I'm a, I'm a fairly adventurous person, so I don't, I don't mind a little danger in my life. But I'll tell you what, laying in my tent in the middle of the night, in the middle of the wilderness, hearing wolves howling all around me was a pretty unsettling feeling. And there was, there was nothing that was going to convince me to get out of my tent and leave that fire and, and wander off into the darkness. And I was thinking about this when I read verse 8 here. The devil is a roaring lion seeking whom he might devour. And friends, contrary to what Halloween costumes would have us believe, 
The devil is not a, a little man in a red cape and a pitchfork. You know, he is the prince of darkness. He led an, an army of angels to rebel against heaven. He deceived Adam and Eve and has wreaked havoc on this earth. In Redeemer Fellowship, Satan hates us. He would love to make shipwreck of our faith. He would love to take this time of quarantine and, and take little quarrels among couples and, and turn them into hate for one another. He would love to take this time of loneliness and to make you feel worthless and unloved by God. He would love to take that seed of lust in your life and to grow it into addiction to pornography or to turn to adultery. He loved to convince you that your, your attitude of judgment and uncharitable thinking towards your friend is good and right to have. He would love for our fellowship to fall apart in this time. It, but just to be clear here, Satan is, he's not equal with God. He does not have the final say. One day Satan is going to be defeated. He's going to be cast into the lake of fire and his reign will be no more. The victory of Christ on the cross has sealed his fate. And we've been given the spirit of Christ. We've been given the armor of God. We've been given the word and prayer and each other. And God himself stands with us. That's why it says in James 4 verse 7, Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. So church, we are not to, to fear Satan. In fact, scripture calls us to have confidence because of what Christ has done and that his spirit is in us. And so it calls us to resist him and stand firm in our obedience to Christ with confidence. But Satan is active in this world, according to 1 Peter chapter 5. And that should sober us, should cause us to be alert, to be on guard, to be serious in our fight against sin. We cannot assume that we are just fine on our own and then and wander off into the darkness among the wolves. We need to be close to the fire of God's word and fellowship and prayer and diligence in that prayer. And just a, just a thought here on prayer. Our prayers, they ought to have a, a seriousness and a, a fierceness about them because we are at war, right? It's good to pray all types of prayers. God says us to bring all things before him. So, so it's good to pray prayers for our finances or, or for our neighbor's job or for our nephew's last semester of college. It's, it's wonderful to pray those types of prayers. But friends, our prayers ought to have um, a, 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 a feel to them that, that recognize that we are at war. This world is, is hostile to the things of God and, and Satan would love to devour our souls. And so humility and prayer recognizes our need for help and strength in these things. And while humility recognizes that we need help in all this, humility also recognizes that we do not fight this fight of faith without hope. And this leads us to our fourth and our final point to hope in glory. Peter has laid down this very serious call to submit to others, to trust in God and to resist the devil and to do all this in the midst of the most difficult moments of life. And now, as we come to an end of this passage and an end here to the letter, Peter ends with words of comfort to us. 
In verses 9 through 10, he says, it's to stand firm in your faith, knowing the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you've suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. So church, there's, there is great comfort in knowing that the trials of this life will not last forever. The struggles in your marriage, the war against addiction, the, the persecution that we face as a Christian, the, the loneliness that you are feeling in this season, these things will not last. The day is coming when he will bring us home to heaven. As it says in verse 10, after you suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. And when, when Peter says, after you suffered for a little while, he's talking about his, our time here on earth. You know, he, he's not saying that God has promised to take away all of our suffering during this life. Maybe, maybe some of the, the suffering that we're experiencing in this life will go away, but, but not all of our suffering will. In fact, it would, it would actually probably be a, a disservice to ourselves and to our faith to expect that, that all the trials we're going through will, will just go away if we, if we acknowledge God and we trust in Him. That is, that is not what Scripture teaches. Now, certainly that does not mean that, that all of life is going to be suffering. And in fact, you, you may be in a season in life right now where things are going well, and, and you would say, you know, things are, things are actually great. I'm, I'm not experiencing much suffering right now. But that is probably not the experience of most of us, at least not long term, right? And in fact, Scripture seems to indicate that, that if we are serious about following Christ, that we to our expect suffering. And that certainly is true of what Peter is saying to this New Testament church, right? And this is because Satan is roaring around like a lion looking for people to devour. The world is resistant to the ways of Christ. And we, we just live in a world that produces suffering, often which we are the cause of, right? And so, and, but oftentimes when, when we face suffering, we, we are tend to think that maybe God has left us, that maybe God is not trustworthy after all. But the point of this passage is making is that when we face suffering and we do so with humility, that it is then that God draws all the more closer, that he proves himself all the more trustworthy, that he gives us all the more grace. God gives grace to the humble. Peter says, after you suffered for a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ. So, so what does it mean that, that God is a God of all grace? Well, it, it doesn't mean that God is a God only of grace, because we saw earlier that God also is God who opposes the proud. But what it means is that for those of us who have trusted in Christ, who have humbled ourselves, who look to him for help, all that we receive from God is grace. And whether that, that, that grace is, and what greater grace is it that, that, than that he has called us? 
And that he works all things together for good. That we receive none of his judgment and all of his mercy. That he has plans to restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. And, and some of this will happen in this life. But friends, all of that will happen in the next life. And when God has called us, what it means is that he has claimed us. He has assured us of glory. He has said, I will bring you home. And that day is coming soon, friends. The sufferings of this life are but a moment compared to eternity. As Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. And so as we, as we hope in this, as we await this glory, as we experience these trials, we are called to cast our anxieties at the feet of Jesus and to walk humbly with our God who will prove all of his promises true. And when we do so, we receive all the grace and God receives all the glory. A humble life prepares us for a glorious life.